Hey, stand your feet with me. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here. We're going to stand up to honor God's word. We're in a series called Breaking Bread. Everybody say Breaking Bread. This is a series all about relationships. We live in the moment in a crisis of relationships. Relationships have been tested, have been fragmented, have been broken. It's been a challenging season for all of us in the midst of this pandemic. And yet there is hope. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. There is Bible wisdom and gospel skills, everybody say skills, skills that we can use if we were to follow the way, the path of Jesus that can bring hope to, to dying relationships and resurrection life to even seemingly dead relationships because your life is only as good as your relationships. Your life is only as good as your relationships. Last week, my, my lovely wife, Nancy, shared on Mother's Day. How many of you got to hear Nancy share on Mother's Day? La pastora, she's beautiful and intelligent and articulate. I definitely married up. She shared about how Mary battled insecurities. If that's something that you can relate to and maybe you missed it or you have a friend you love that that would be helpful to, make sure you check that out. You can do that on our podcast or our YouTube channel, Search Greenhouse South Florida. You can watch it and share it right from there. This, really the next two weeks, I wanna key in on two of the most challenging and yet some of the closest relationships we have to us, family relationships. Everybody ready for this? It's one of the real tragedies of the human experience. Oftentimes, it is the people closest to us that get the worst from us. And it breaks all of our hearts. What if those family relationships not only could survive, what if they could thrive? What if there could be life in the closest relationships, the ones that we're stuck with, whether we want to or not with family for the rest of our lives, what if there could be life seemingly from the dead and hope and resurrection? Would you be interested in that? I'm glad. This week, I wanna kick off these family relationships talking about parenting. How many parents do I have in the room? Any parents here in the room? All right, this is for you. Parents online, give me a little wave there in Guyana. If you're in Guyana and you're a parent, how many of you have parents? Okay, how many of you think it would be helpful to get a little bit of help in your relationship with your parents? How many of you think you wanna be parents someday? Okay, this applies to every human being in one way or another. Turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter three. We'll be in Colossians chapter three. I do bring you good tidings of great joy. The Miami Heat have moved on in the NBA playoffs as have the Florida Panthers. All is well in South Florida sportsdom. The Miami Dolphins are still loading, so we'll see if Tua can throw a deep ball. But that is not the point of this sermon. My point is the Bible. If you're ready, say preach, preacher. I like it. Y'all are, are awake this morning. This is going to be good. We're going to have fun with this. All right, here we go. Two verses. We'll start in verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, other versions say parents, it's an all-encompassing term here, do not embitter or discourage your children or they will become discouraged. Do not embitter, do not be harsh with your children or they will become discouraged. Why don't you pray with me? Jesus, I walk into this moment sensing the gravity of it knowing that what we sung about you even this morning is very true. You are the good, good father. And yet on this earth, many of us have experienced our deepest wounds and our deepest pain and our deepest betrayal from our earthly parents. 
from our biological family, from our families of origin. And Lord, I'm sensing in my heart in a deep way, healing, health, flourishing, and restoration that you wanna bring in our hearts this morning. And we say yes to that. In Jesus' name, if you agree, say amen. You can find your seat, turn your neighbor, give him a high five, tell him get ready. You know, all it takes is a simple tap into the Googles and you'll find that there are so many strong opinions out there about parenting. Anybody done that? You Google a parenting question and all of a sudden you're like, wow, here's an article that says one thing. Here's an article that says the complete opposite thing. And somehow they both have strong opinions and facts with it. Anybody, other parents experience that? So many opinions. You got some opinions. Some people say you got to guard your kids to protect their psyche and their self-esteem. Others say you got to let your kids figure out their own boundaries and failure is healthy. Some say your kids need lots and lots of rules and structure. Others say, well, your kids actually need to figure out their own boundaries and rules and don't give them too much structure. Some say never do a sleepover. Some say, well, you gotta let them do a sleepover because they have to figure out how they're gonna be able to work within their peer group. Some say don't push God on your kids. Others say you gotta push academics on your kids. Get them to that Ivy League school. Have you watched the movie about Venus and Cerulean Williams? Your kids will thank you later. Be hard on them. Other ones say, don't be hard on your kids. If you press academics on your kids, your kids will resent you later. Then we get into technology. Man, don't have cell phones. Do you know what these things are doing? These little electronic devices are killing us. Don't let your kids have cell phones. What? You got to let your kids have cell phones. If your kids don't have cell phones, they'll feel like social outcasts. And you know what's going to happen? It's going to kill them. Well, you should let your kids have a little bit of cell phones, but you have to monitor how much time they have. And then you get into what's on the cell phone. Social media, don't let your kids have any social media. Pastor John, do you know the psychological effects on social media on full-grown adults, let alone on kids? Well, you gotta let your kids have some social media because if they don't have a little bit of social media, they'll be out of touch with the world. And, and if you don't have healthy, life-giving relationships, then you'll wither and, well, you, you gotta let them have some social media, but you have to make sure that the social media is appropriate to their cognitive development scale. You're like, I don't even know what a cognitive development scale is, let alone how to figure that out on a social media app. There's so many opinions about how to parent our kids and they're all coming at it from different directions saying different things and it's got me like, Lord, how in the world do I parent my kids and not ruin their lives? Can anybody relate to that? Parents, can, I get a, can we get a collective amen? Goodness gracious. And it sure would be helpful if someone who really knew what they were doing could just lay it out for us. I've got bad news for you, that's not me. <laughs> but I've got great news for you, that is him. Would you like to hear what God has to say about parenting? I'm glad you said yes, because I was gonna do it anyways. The, uh, the Bible has a path, it has a way, but, but we've all had experiences. We take all of the varied thoughts all across the internets and the budding field of child psychology and, and then we layer that in with our own experiences. Some of us in this room have been blessed to have had great parents and examples. They weren't perfect, but they were pretty great. And we bring that with us into our relationships. Others of us in the room, and it's unfortunately probably the majority of us in the room, really learned from our parents who weren't necessarily bad people. They did their best, but what we really learned from our parents is how not to parent and what we don't want to do. 
Some of us in the room, we're already parents, whether we, whether we feel like we're ready or not. And so we're trying to build this plane as we fly it. Others of us do not yet have kids and you get a chance to key in now and listen and learn from our mistakes so you don't have to make your own. Parents, can you say, listen to everyone in this room? My dad always said, experience is the best teacher. Someone else's experience is the best experience. That's wisdom right there. How in the world do we do this thing? How do we parent our kids and not ruin their lives? And here's the great news. The the Bible, God has actually given us a framework. He's given us some principles and promises to establish a framework whereby our kids and anyone under our leadership can thrive. And I wanna unpack this this morning. My goal here is not to be comprehensive. Uh, I could, there's no way in one sermon I can unpack all of the nuances of parenting. I'm not even gonna try. There's like books on books on books on this, right? What I wanna do is take one passage and highlight a few key principles that if we were to enact, not I, but God says our families will thrive. You guys ready for this? All right, big idea, take some notes. I'd encourage you to jot these things down, unpack them together with your spouse. You'll also be able to talk some of this through with your roommates if you're not married or you don't have kids. Here's my big idea. We parent best when we parent like God. We parent best when we parent like God. It's almost embarrassingly simple it is also incredibly difficult, dare I say it, impossible without the help of the Spirit. Great news is he promised he'd help us. Three key things if you want your family relationships to thrive, especially parents to children. Point number one is this, don't be harsh. Don't be harsh. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't be harsh. Let's look up the same passage here in the message In the message version, Eugene Peterson sort of teases out the nuances in a way that I really felt helpful. He says, parents, don't come down too hard on your children or you'll crush their spirits. Don't be harsh with your children. Don't come down too hard on your children or you'll crush their spirits. NIV says, don't don't be too harsh on them lest they be discouraged. It's interesting because Colossians 3, this is one of the core passages on parenting, and there are not a a, a huge number of them in the scriptures. Ephesians 6 says almost the same thing, and we'll get into that. But this idea of, of don't be too harsh with your kids lest they become discouraged is a recurring theme because we need to hear it. That's why God says things, especially saying things over and over again. Why do we have this tension where we so often fall into the trap of discouraging our kids? Ever been there? No, I know y'all are perfect. I have been there. I remember my, my, my wife, Nancy, and I, we have two kids. Liam is our oldest. This boy, can, he can talk, and he can reason, and he can put some questions out there. And, he just, and I remember one day, not too long ago, he loves to try to tell jokes. That's his thing. He likes to try to tell jokes and make people laugh. And so one day, we're at the dinner table, and he, goes, and he, he was talking to me, and I was, we're going back and forth, and he said, hey, mom. And I was like, What? I thought, he, I thought he like made a mistake and, he's, and he saw it. And then Lucy, our youngest, laughed. Oh, forget it. Anything that Lucy laughs about. So, so the whole rest of the evening, I was mom. Hey, mom, how are you doing, mom? What are you doing, mom? And I was like, what are you doing? You know, and it was whatever. And so I was like, okay, you want to dish it, son? You want to dish it? Okay. And I was like, hey, Lucy. And he's like, stop. I was like, what, what's wrong, Lucy? 
What's happening, Lucy? And he's like, no, no. And I was just like, well, you know, you got to te- teach your kids, right? How they're supposed to understand this. And I'm doing this thing. And then Nancy walks up and she's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, have you ever like said something? And as it's coming out, you realize how horrible of a decision you've made, but it's like, like the words are coming out. You like, they have not yet invented the skill. Please someone help us over in Guyana, maybe to like bring the words back in, like the words like go in reverse. And so I heard myself saying, well, he did it first. And I was like, I'm five years old. This is great. Why do, why, do we, why do we get baited into this, parents? I mean, I, I don't know if you've done that, but you know what I'm saying? Like your kids, they're on your last nerve, and so you give them back what they deserve because they deserve it. I hear parents laughing, thank God. Y'all are, y'all are my type of people, all right? We can be honest with ourselves. Like we do this. The Bible doesn't say things that we don't struggle with. Parents, don't be harsh with your kids lest they become discouraged. I got curious. I'm like, well, what, what was it like? You know, original context is, is important when you're understanding the scriptures and the text. Like, what, what was the scenario like for kids in the ancient world? We're dealing here with the ancient Roman world, and it was an exceptionally harsh life for kids in the Roman-dominated world. In the Roman world, they had a law. It was translated the father's power. This essentially meant that the father of the household was given absolute right of life and death over the family. The father could sell any family member. He could put any family member in chains. He even had the right over the death penalty. They would literally, there are, there are firsthand accounts in the Roman world where when a child was born, they would lay the child at the father's feet. True story, this is history. If the child, if the father picked up the child, the child would live. If the father walked away from the child, the child would be taken away and discarded of. This was the world in which Paul writes, parents, don't be harsh with your kids lest they become discouraged. No one was saying this but God. Just to be clear, I know right now, like we have a whole, let's protect children except when they're in the womb and then we feel like that's a different thing. God has always been the defender of innocent and unable to protect themselves children. This is not a new thing, by the way. This has always been the heart of God. We've always struggled as humans to discard kids that we felt were an inconvenience and God and the people of God have always been passionately against that. It's the heart of God. It was a harsh reality for kids in the first century. And when Paul pens this, I know we hear it and we're like, yeah, I don't do that perfectly, but that makes sense. Don't be harsh with your kids. You don't want them to become discouraged. We want to damage their psyche while they're still developing. Back then, just so you know, in the ancient world, no one is saying anything like this but God. He said, well, Pastor John, that's, that's their reality in the first century. What about kids in the 21st century? And I would argue that the harshness of the world for kids in the modern world has not diminished. If anything, it's just differently dangerous. I ended up going down a heartbreaking Google search rabbit trail, researching mental health in teens right now in our current moment. Some of you might be parents of teenagers and you're living that challenge out right now or maybe you're gonna encounter it soon. Check this out. According to the National Institute of Health, nearly one in three of all adolescents ages 13 to 18 will experience a diagnosed anxiety disorder. One in three. These numbers have been rising steadily. Between 2007 and 2012, anxiety disorders in children and teens were up 20%. And from 2012 to 2018, they went up another 10%. 
This means that in the last decade, anxiety disorders in teens have gone up 30%. The article continues, these stats combined with the rate of hospital admissions for suicidal teenagers also doubling over the past decade leaves us with many concerning questions. If God's heart is expressed through Paul here to say, parents, don't be harsh with your kids lest they become discouraged, I just need to let you know the harshness of the reality of life for young people in the next generation has not diminished. If anything, it is skyrocketing right now. I see lots of heads nodding. Some of you work with young people. Some of you are teachers. Some of you are lawyers. You see this on a firsthand basis. The articles that I read went on to talk about what might be some of the causes behind this. They talk about social media and and this comparison trap that it creates and online bullying and all of these different things. Here's my point. There is so much harshness that our kids will already experience, that the next generation will already experience in this life, that there is one safe place that God has designed for our kids to flourish and parents, it's you. It's you. It's us. In the midst of all of the harshness that this life will bring, because it's gonna happen, the one place that God says, parents, don't be harsh with your kids, lest they become discouraged. The safe place that God has designed for parents, it's you. It's you. I mentioned in this book, Transforming Fellowship, there's these, they sort of pair Bible verses with with cutting edge neuroscience. There's three uh, sort of relational skills that I wanna unpack. And if you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to jot this down and figure out what this could look like to incorporate into your life, into your parenting, into your leadership, into your roommate culture. Here's skill number one, form bonds for two. Form bonds for two. In the book, they went on to talk about this reality that I'm sure we've all experienced where it's possible to have proximity with other people, but still feel isolated and alone. Anybody felt that before? You're like, it's not that I don't have anyone around me. I've got people around me. I've got coworkers around me. I've got friends around me. In a church context, you could even say, I got a small group or a micro church around me, but I feel isolated and alone because it's possible to have proximity, but to have no or to have very shallow relationships. Relationships, proximity is necessary to help create relationships, but it does not create relationships on their own. Relationships must be cultivated. The great news in the book is that they encourage everyone reading, and by the way, it's a phenomenal book to pick up, and I'd recommend it, Transforming Fellowship, Chris Corsi. The the great news that they share is that these skills, these relationship skills can be learned. Things like active uh, and actively and intentionally pursuing deep connections. They talk about synchronizing attachments, which is basically sharing, reflecting, and asking questions that tease out feelings, how people feel about circumstances, not just the, the details of it. Looking for mutual joy. When we're able to learn these skills where we can form deep connections and relationships in this context with our children, we give them an opportunity to thrive and then to have learned skills and tools that they can reproduce in their own lives. This does not mean, though, that we do not bring healthy challenge and correction. And this is part of forming bonds for two that I feel like we we struggle in our culture to find this tension, okay? We want to be loving and encouraging. We don't want to be harsh. But Pastor John, have you met my kids? They need some correction and discipleship right? How do we do this right? I remember moving back down here. My father, who passed a few years ago now, was an incredible man. He was a humble man. He was a messianic rabbi. I'm from a Jewish background. 
I know I'm a pastor. Welcome to Greenhouse. And um, he was just an amazing man, Rabbi Neil. My dad was gentle. He was humble. He was kind. And so it really threw me for a loop. When I came down here, my dad had started playing golf. And I was like, Dad, can I come out and play golf with your friends? And he was like, ah, no. What do you mean, no? He's like, you're not. And I kind of pressed him. And finally, he was like, you're just not good enough yet, son. Yeah. Now, for any of you who know my dad, like you're trying to picture, I was like, what? I went home to Nancy. She's like, oh, are you going to play with your dad? I'm like, he told me I can't. She's like, what? I was like, yeah, he said I'm not good enough. And then, so I started understanding the game. If you've played before and you know there's like, everyone's at a relatively, you know, inept skill level, but then someone's like at a really inept skill level. It's actually not fun for that person. It's really humiliating and horrible and everyone hates the experience. And so I remember going back to my dad and I knew my dad loved me. I knew he believed in me. I knew he cared for me. He was a very encouraging and loving dad. So I went back and I was like, hey, okay, are, can you help me get good at golf? He's like, I'd love to. So we went out and hit the driving range. He got me a few lessons. We got to practice. And finally, I went out with his 73-year-old crew, and I beat them all at golf. So what's up, Dad? But I remember that it was this interesting tension. My dad shared with me an honest truth that was a reality. I was not good enough to go out and play golf with his friends. I would have been miserable. His friends would have hated it. Everyone would have had a bad experience. And I honestly probably would have never picked up the game. But it's possible to be truthful and bring correction and still be kind about it. Are you tracking with me? Like we live in a moment where we go on one extreme or the other either you're just a jerk and you say all these very true things, but you're really mean about it. And unlike Jesus, who was full of grace and truth, you're just full of capital T truth and there's no grace and there's no love, but you, man, you told him like it is. That's not the way of Jesus. Or we go to the other side and here's where culture is gone. If you say anything that could hurt someone's feelings, you are being mean and harsh. That's not true. When my dad told me I wasn't good at golf, I was like, oh, I got a little in my feelings. I'm like, and then I was like, oh, wait. I'm not. And, and I knew he loved me enough that he was willing to work with me on those things. Here, here's my point, parents. This is not saying, because we've got other Bible verses that say, train up a child in the way they should go. And when they're old, they're not depart. This is not saying don't bring correction to your kids. This is letting you know that you can be honest with correction and still be kind. In fact, it's the way of Jesus. Kids need candor. Kids need direction. Parents do need to bring correction, but don't be harsh because we parent best when we parent like God. How many of you still need correction? Good. Okay, most of you. Got, praise God for the rest of y'all. Okay, um, how many of you still need to be challenged by God? Okay, how does God deal with you? Think about that for a second. Like our vision for parenting, if you get nothing else out of this message, even if you're like 17 years old and you're like, man, I'm not gonna have kids for a long time, amen. You're like, I don't need, here's what you need to get out of it. When you are wrestling with what to do with your kids, stop and say, how does God treat me when I do that? And then do that thing. That's it. You're like, that's impossible, amen. But Jesus will help you. And his grace is sufficient. We, we parent best when we parent like God's. Romans 2 tells us how God deals when we're out of line and needs correction. It is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. 
Parents, let yours do the same. Parents, don't be harsh with your kids lest they be discouraged. Point number one, don't be harsh. Point number two, create an attitude of appreciation. An attitude of appreciation. I'll unpack what this means in just a moment. Uh, Apparently, in addition to being harsh, part of the discouragement that, that we can as parents, either intentionally or unintentionally, inflict on our kids is through expectations. Everybody say expectations. Y'all falling asleep on me? Stick with me now. The louder you talk, the shorter I'll preach, and we'll all get home happy, all right? There we go. All right, Colossians 3.21, you got excited about me preaching shorter, but I'm still good with it. In the Amplified version, it says it like this. Fathers, don't provoke or irritate or exasperate your children with demands that are trivial or unreasonable. Having unrealistic, having unfair expectations ultimately leads kids to the same path that harshness does. It leads to discouragement and ultimately it leads to shame. This is a big one. This is a big one. Number one is all about being harsh. Number two is all about how you deal with your expectations. Remember, we parent best when we parent like God. If the vision is to treat your kids like heavenly dad treats you, then the question becomes, what expectations does God have for you? Tracking with me here? Think about that for a second. What expectations does God have for you? I put it down in my own words. I I feel like God is realistic with our flaws, our failings, and our current abilities, right? He, 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 He owns that. He knows that. And yet he is always by his spirit lovingly challenging us to grow, often in one or two key areas at a time. This is the humility of God. This is the gentleness and the kindness of God. If he went ahead and put up on a PowerPoint presentation all of the issues we got and all of the ways that we need to grow, we would just like, we would have a never ending novel to read and it would be crushing for us, right? So he doesn't do that. It's a temptation we have as parents, by the way. We want to, we see all the things and because we love our kids often, we want to fix all the issues at once. God doesn't do that with you. Don't do that with your kids. Holy Spirit often picks one, two, maybe three areas, and he keys in on those things first. And I'll get to the other things later. By the way, this this has been my consistent experience. It's my experience right now in my relationship with Heavenly Dad. We've got a lot of stuff in our vision statement that that I find really compelling and, and really encouraging. One of the visions is we wanna be a missions outpost and ascending agency, and so I've always loved that. It's always been so great, so inspiring, so exciting, and still we started having to do it. We start having to send out great people. Jaleesa goes out on the mission field. It's like, I'm so happy. Oh, great. What am I going to do? Jamie was amazing with us since he was a high schooler and he goes out and he's doing his thing and following the call of God in his life. It's like, man, I'm so pumped for you. Praise God. And we're doing this stuff and, and more over the past several months, I've just felt it. I'm like, man, and, and I've always liked this idea, but now you're having to live this idea in real life. And, and I felt it. I felt God like heavenly father, just, just pressing on me like, son, are you gonna be who I've called you to be? Are you gonna do what I've called you to do? Like in, in my heart of hearts, church, I can tell you, our, our church family, we are called to be goers and senders. That's who we are. We go when God calls us to go, short-term trips, long-term trips, in our neighborhood, right there to our coworkers' cubicle across the way. We go when he calls us to go, and we send 
who he calls us to send. That's our call, which sounds great, except when you really love and like people, and then it's painful, just like we see in Acts, but it's the way of the kingdom. God often gives these specific challenges in specific areas with specific encouragement along the way. We were in staff prayer, just so you know, our staff team gets together. We pray over our entire church family every single month. We pray over our leaders. We pray over what God's doing. We pray over marriages and families. We love this church. We take serious the responsibility to cover this church family in prayer. And so we're there in prayer and we're going through and one of the staff members, I just said, hey, pray through just a Bible verse that God puts in your heart and and we'll just pray it out together. And so we're there this week in staff prayer and one of the staff prays something out. It might've been for somebody else, but man, it, it was totally for me. It was so, it was this really personal, powerful moment with God. And I just sat there and it was like, if you've ever just felt like you heard God's voice, he's speaking through a person, but God almost like, shoot, hijacks it and highlighters it in your heart. And you're like, man, this is the Lord. Just letting me know, son, you're on the right track. I see you, you're doing it, keep it up. It was so meaningful. It's how God parents us, isn't it? He, he challenges us. He corrects us, but he, but he wraps his arm around us when he does it. And, and he doesn't overwhelm us with all the areas that we, that we need massive improvement. It's one thing at a time. It's two things at a time. And we parent best when we parent like God. Here's the application point, parents. This week, I want you to get with your spouse. Uh, roommates, by the way, you can also do this as well. And I'll tell you how to unpack this. But this week, parents, ask the Holy Spirit, single mom, single dad, ask the Holy Spirit for one to two specific areas for each one of your children to grow in. You're like, man, I can list 37 right now. Okay, don't share 37 with them. Ask the Holy Spirit which one or two he wants to focus on first. God has a vision for your kids. It's better than even our vision for our kids. So lean into that and then focus in on those specific things. Roommates, by the way, this would be phenomenal. If you don't yet have kids or if you're not yet married, this would be a great space to practice these skills. Get together as roommates this week, get together as roommates today and say, hey, listen, here I've been praying. Here are the one to two areas that I feel like God is challenging me to grow in. Can you hold me accountable? Can you encourage me? You can do this within your microchurches. It's not exclusively for parents. It's learning skills that will be beneficial to you as a parent down the road. Now, here's how you do this. You create an attitude of appreciation. You create an attitude of appreciation. Here's from the book, Transforming Fellowship. Healthy minds are full of appreciation. Appreciation turns stress into contentment. When you create a habit to call out three and four things every day that you appreciate, when you begin to relive the good things and you tell and remember the good stories, it doesn't just create appreciation, it actually changes you. This is fascinating. This is from the brain science here. There's this this saying in neuroscience, neurons that fire together, wire together. How many of you have heard that before? Neurons that fire together, wire together. It's, It's basically the idea of habits. The more consistently you do things, the more consistently you think in certain ways, it becomes like second nature for your brain. The idea with that is that when you develop a habit of appreciation attached to these expectations, when you develop a habit of appreciation, your brain learns to move more quickly past the bad things because it is now looking actively for the good things. Here's what this means for families. If you have an attitude of appreciation, and some of us were raised in exceptionally critical homes, 
And some of us, whether we've wanted to or not, have created exceptionally critical homes. I get it. It's, it's a whole tough love thing. I'm just letting you know that is not what God says to do when it comes to parenting. It works in the short run. It is deeply destructive in the long run. Hashtag therapy. We've all experienced that, right? When you create this culture of appreciation, when you have this attitude of appreciation in your family, it means you're looking for the good things to appreciate and call out versus the bad things. And guess what? You'll always find what you're looking for. You'll always find what you're looking for. You, cre you create in your family an attitude of appreciation. You get a few specific expectations for growth that God has placed in your heart as you've prayed for your kids. And now you're looking for the good. You're gonna find the good. And when you reinforce the good, guess what happens? The good happens again, more and more. And then you get into this cycle of positive reinforcement and all of a sudden your home is a place of joy and flourishing where your kids know this is a safe place to grow. This is a safe place to fail. This is a safe place to blow it because I know my parents love me and they're looking for the good because that's what God does with us. That's exactly how he parents us. Final thought, if we want thriving families, I'm gonna go like five minutes long. Are you guys okay with that? Okay, amen. All right, number two, create an attitude of appreciation. Number three, lead them in the word. This is where sort of pop psychology files short and the word of God cannot just bring about behavior modification, but true internal transformation, which is the only route for sustainable change in kids, right? We don't just want their behavior. We got a bunch of Pharisees running around with stone hearts. We want disciples, right? Which means we lead them in God's word. Ephesians 6, 4 says it like this. This is the parallel passage that Paul writes to the Ephesians. He says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Again, that word is, is fathers, it's parents, really. Don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. The Bible has got to be central to what we do as parents if we want to follow Jesus. And I realize some of us in here aren't Jesus followers, and we're thrilled that you're here. I hope by the end you realize the wisdom, the necessity of God's word in the life of your kids and family. But it says, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. The rabbis had a very creative practice with this. What the rabbis would do in the ancient uh, culture and ancient Jewish tradition is they would take children and they would read with them Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is this like mega monster psalm, hundreds of verses, all about the incredible word of God. And what the rabbis would do is they would take honey. There's like, you know, your little sugar fix in the ancient world. They would take honey, you know, and, and while the kids were reading about God's word, they would let them dip their finger in honey and eat it. It was like every kid's like favorite, like forget birthday cake, eat your heart out. This was the ancient world, like pinata. They're like, let's get together. We got the honey, yes! And all the kids are gonna go home to their parents. You know, it's like when kid church gives out candy, it's like all the parents are like, thank you. They got this together, they would give them the honey, and as they're eating the honey, they would read verses like Psalm 119, how sweet are your words to my taste, God, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. This is genius instruction. This is multi-sensory instruction. The rabbis would help kids learn God's word is not just some rod of correction. God's word is not some spiritual police officer in the sky trying to spoil your fun. God's word is not your spiritual probation officer. God's word is life and joy. So they would eat the honey and they would associate God's word with joy and delight. Wisdom, parents. In your household, if you are using the Bible like a weapon, stop it, you're using it wrong. 
God's word is a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. It's supposed to be like joy to our bones, Psalm 119 says. When we bring our kids around the word, it's supposed to be like the thrill of their soul. How do I do that? Get some honey. I don't know, figure it out. But that's the principle there. Get like pixie sticks. I don't know what you're gonna do with it, but, but this is the vision. His word is supposed to be not a duty. It's supposed to be our delight. Parents, Fathers, mothers, when you gather your kids around his word, help them to see it's the source of life and joy. In the book, uh, Transforming Fellowship, this is the last skill I wanna unpack. This is called bonds for three. We already talked about bonds for two. That's creating deep relationship, not just proximity, but vulnerability, transparency, actual depth of relationship between parents and children. Bonds for three is creating emotional capacity where you can invite others in as well. The whole family gets in on the fun. This is where you create a safe space for belonging with your kids. And I would argue you create a safe space around something you know I like sports, so we do that in the Lausch household. My kids, before the, one of the first things they could say is, go Gators! I'm like, yes, raise them right. But we gather around the word of God. Gather your family around God's word, life to their bones, honey on their lips. Ephesians 6, 4 in the message says, fathers, don't frustrate your children with no-win scenarios. Instead, take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master. I love that. I love that vision. It's relational. It's humble. It's dads and moms stooping down to grab the little hands and lead them in the way of the master. It's parents with kids. It's kids with siblings. It's roommates with one another. It's acknowledging that we all need to grow. We all have gaps and deficiencies in our spiritual lives, and we, have, we are invited by God to grow together, following in the way of Jesus, the master. By the way, this is not just teaching, this is also modeling it. This is where a lot of us have had very strong cognitive dissonance from parents or families of origin who taught all the right Bible and then lived like hell. And there's this deep wound there and you are right, that was wrong, that was wicked. Maybe they didn't mean to be so horrible, but that's horrible. This is not just about teaching your kids. This is about living and modeling for your kids. Your kids don't just need to hear you talk about repentance, parents. They need to see you live it. When's the last time your kids saw you repent? Like, saw you do it? Some of us have come from families of origin where we never heard a single I'm sorry from our parents. That's not the way of Jesus. And we get to do differently. We're invited to do differently, to create new rhythms and new cultures. It's not just talking about loving God above all else, parents. I know that that's part of the teaching. That's part of the instruction. It doesn't just say teach them. It says grab them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master. This means when we're talking about love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, parents, we're not just talking about it. We're modeling it. Our kids are watching us show that God is more valuable and we love him more than anything else with our time, with our energies, with our talents, with our abilities, with our money, with our resources. They're watching it happen before their eyes so they can do the same. Why? Because we're gonna teach what we know, but we will reproduce who we are. It's what always happens. The, the ancient Hebrew was the Shema, hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, you shall love the Lord your God. At the end of the day, our vision as parents for kids is not just that we get a bunch of little rule followers whose hearts are made of stone, it's that we have kids who love God 
who love God. That, that is, I mean, Nancy and I talk all the time. We've boiled our family vision down very simply. We want our kids to be kind and we want them to love God and we want them to obey the parents. That's important. At the end of the day, God has placed us as parents uniquely in the role where through our interactions with them, they are supposed to experience the grace, love, mercy, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and faithfulness of God. <sighs> no pressure. <laughs> Which is the good news of the gospel. And I'm gonna close here in a second. Worship team, you guys can come up and we'll close in a final chorus here in just a second. But at the end of the day, the, the day, the good news of the gospel, the way all of this works and comes together is that if we are endeavoring to help our children experience in our families love for God, we love God, how? Because he first loved us. We experience God's love and unmerited mercy and kindness, and then we get to model that for those under our leadership and care. Here, here's my call, and I've got sort of a specific ending this morning. Whether you're online, if you're in Guyana, if you're here in the room, if you have experienced the, the transforming love of God, the grace and mercy and forgiveness of Heavenly Father, if, if you've experienced that yourself, this is the prayer to say, God, help me to, help me to take that in and internalize that deeply so that I can externalize that and pour that out on others, on my kids and those under my leadership but if you have not experienced the incredible transforming love of God, that is the first step and that's available to you this very morning. Whether you're here in the room, whether you're watching online, if you know, you're like, man, I, I, I'm nowhere close to the parent that I wanna be. I swore all these things about how I would never do what my parents did. I'd never be like my parents were and I see it, John. I, I'm, I'm going down the same path. Here's the great news. You don't have to. Jesus can bring freedom, healing transformation.